When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Tonight on The Readout. If it happened, I think you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. I don't think the people of the United States would stand for it. What kind of problems, Mr. President? I think they'd have big problems. Big problems. You know that the legacy media will say you're attempting to incite violence with that statement. How do you respond to what will inevitably... That's not inciting. I'm just saying what my opinion is. I don't think the people of this country would stand for it. Donald Trump, exactly one year ago, trying to rile up his MAGA base if he got indicted in the classified documents case. And now we're learning that federal prosecutors warned that Trump's knowledge of their efforts to access his Twitter account could precipitate violence. And late today, special counsel Jack Smith asked a judge for a narrow gag order against Trump in the election interference case, claiming that Trump's inflammatory remarks have led to threats against witnesses and could prejudice the jury pool. And we begin with that breaking news involving the D.C. criminal case against Donald Trump. In a brand new court filing, special counsel Jack Smith is asking Judge Tanya Chutkin to issue a narrow gag order against Trump, specifically regarding what he can publicly say about potential witnesses, arguing that his statements could present a serious and substantial danger of prejudicing his election interference case. The government writes that Trump, quote, made clear his intent to issue public attacks related to this case when, the day after his arraignment, he posted a threatening message on Truth Social, which stated, if you go after me, I'm coming after you. Trump, they write, has made good on his threat. Since the indictment in this case, the defendant has spread disparaging and inflammatory public posts on Truth Social on a near daily basis regarding the citizens of the District of Columbia, the court, prosecutors, and prospective witnesses, like his previous public disinformation campaign. Regarding the 2020 presidential election, the defendant's recent extrajudicial statements are intended to undermine public confidence in an institution, the judicial system, and to undermine confidence in and intimidate individuals, the court, the jury, the jury pool, witnesses, and prosecutors. The motion goes on to highlight several screenshots of posts on Trump's Truth Social account, attacking Jack Smith, Judge Chutkin, the Justice Department, and his former VP, Mike Pence. It also lays out various examples of individuals who've been threatened and harassed after being publicly attacked by Trump. The names of those individuals are redacted, but our reporters have gleaned that former CISA Director Chris Krebs and Georgia election workers Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss are among those cited. Joining me now is Harry Littman, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General and former U.S. Attorney, Charles Coleman Jr., former Brooklyn prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst, and Lisa Rubin, MSNBC legal analyst. And and I am going to start with you, Lisa, because you've been pouring through uh, this filing. Um, So give us the highlights. I've been reading through it as well, but I would like to hear your legal eagle read on what we're reading, what what, um, this filing entails. 
Joy, there are two things I think our viewers should know. One is the characterization of this as a gag order is, I think, a little overwrought, because what the Department of Justice and specifically the special counsel is trying to do here is get the judge to impose a narrowly tailored order that would restrict only certain types of judicial statements, and in particular—I'm sorry, extrajudicial statements, meaning out-of-court statements, and in particular, statements—and I'm reading from the brief right now—regarding the identity, testimony, or credibility of prospective witnesses and statements about any party, witness, attorney, court personnel, or potential jurors that are disparaging and inflammatory or intimidating. And so you have this reaction already from the far right on Twitter saying, of course they're trying to gag him. They can't gag all of us. Or that's the only way they're going to win this case. The opposite is true. Jack Smith has a very strong case against Donald Trump, and all they want to do is try it fairly. If anything, they are trying to ensure sure, an atmosphere of fairness that Donald Trump himself does not want. And, and you know, Charles, we, we have a, a history here. This is some of the examples of misleading and inflammatory statements that Trump knew or should have known would cause others to harass and harm people. This is from the filing as well, targeting an individual on Twitter because he had publicly stated there was no evidence of election fraud. That resulted in threats against the targeted individual and his family, publicly derogated an individual for certifying the election, resulting in an individual's family getting threats of violence, issued public posts about an individual for certifying the election, resulting in individuals receiving threats and um, threatening communication targeting an individual on Twitter for rejecting one of the defendant's election challenges, resulting in individuals requiring additional police protection. And let me just play for a minute what happened when Donald Trump on January 6th tweeted Mike Pence didn't have the courage to essentially steal the election and break the law. Take a look. Here is what the president wrote in his 2.24 p.m. tweet while the violence at the Capitol was going on. And here is what the rioters thought. Nothing but a traitor, and he deserves to burn with the rest of them. So this, so this all escalated after Pence. What, what happened to Pence? Pence, Pence, didn't, yeah. Pence didn't do what we wanted. Pence voted against Trump. Okay, and that's when all this started? Yep, that's when we marched on the Capitol. We've been shot at with rubber bullets, tear gas. Charles, uh, that is the quality of Donald Trump's supporters. If this were a mob boss uh, being prosecuted, it would be obvious that there would need to be some sort of gag order to protect the witnesses. Do you think it will be that obvious to the judge that we need one here? Well, Joy, I do think that it will be pretty obvious for Judge Chuckton to understand the severity of what she's dealing with. To pick up where Lisa left off, I think that this is an interesting collision between Donald Trump, the candidate we've been talking about, and Donald Trump, the defendant. And the reason I say that is the court cites, well, rather, the the, the prosecution cites to a 1966 Supreme Court case called Shepard versus Maxwell. And in that case, basically, what it did was it allowed the Supreme Court to take measures in order to protect the fair and impartial trial of any defendant. In this case, however, the interesting thing about it that differs from that case is that the notion of a circus-like atmosphere is being created by the defendant himself. And so the reason why I say with Donald Trump, the candidate, this is an interesting collision of worlds is because what I anticipate his attorneys are going to argue in their reply brief is that because he is a presidential candidate, it infringes upon his First Amendment rights to actively campaign and use social media to campaign. But the genius and the brilliance in Jack Smith's request is that he narrowly tailors 
is, as Lisa already talked about, the request to basically include court personnel or other individuals who are not necessarily going to be opposing political parties. The only person who I can think of who might be at risk would be Mike Pence. But other than that, there's no argument to be made that his First Amendment rights as a candidate will somehow be infringed upon by Judge Chuckton granting this order. So I think it was a great job done by the DOJ and Jack Smith. And I anticipate that some version of their request is going to be granted by the court because she does understand this is someone who has a very wide platform and his acolytes, his followers, his disciples, they are prone to action. And when we see them act, we know what happens. Yeah, and let me play one more. This is Ruby Freeman um, testifying. Well, I'll just read it. When the great state of uh, Georgia did did what the great state of great state of Georgia did with Ruby Freeman mess. Why not just tell the truth, get rid of the turmoil and guilt and take our country back from the evils and treachery and the radical left monsters who want to see America die, blah, blah, blah. And that resulted in Ruby Freeman getting insane death threats, Harry, as well as her daughter getting them. She had to move out of her home. So we know what Trump is capable of. Can he assert that he has a right on the campaign trail to attack Ruby Freeman, to attack Judge Chutkin, to attack Jack Smith? Because the latter two are a part of his campaign stump speech so far. They are. And this is exactly his M.O. So I just want to say that First of all, there it's absolutely legitimate what uh, Smith is saying, and the narrow, the the tailored um, order is designed specifically to keep him from intimidating witnesses and prejudicing the jury pool. On the other hand, we're really going to the heart of his mo, and I think Lisa read the most important part of the order. It's really not so narrow when you think about Trump's uh, desires and technique and the and the sort of uh, compelling part of the motion. When you see it all together, we've kind of gotten a nerd to Trump's daily tirades, but you you see it all. And there's an overwhelming sense, not simply that he's letting off steam, but he's really trying to get at witnesses, get at the jury system, get at the, the judges and court personnel. And so that's what this gag order, and I agree with Charles, some version of it will probably be entered, will uh, in fact handcuff him about. They'll say, oh, of course you can still do everything else and protect your First Amendment rights. But I think it is designed to uh, hamstring him specifically in some of the um, things he most wants to do on the campaign trail. And he'll be in, you know, the uh, something of a straitjacket if she uh, imposes it. He should be. But of course, that will make the next confrontation all, all the more likely. How do you enforce it for a prosecutor, uh, for a federal prosecutor, Harry Lippman? How do you even enforce it? They gonna put him in jail? In the clink. That is what underlies all of this. And we've been talking about this since the start. She doesn't want to do it, but she's now come to a, to one more really strict, uh, if she enters this, uh, command. And at the end of the day, her power is this pretty severe, um, uh, ability to, to control the, her courtroom and the, uh, and the case by putting him in jail. I think there'd be a, maybe another warning. Another warning, but that's the thing. She is really, he's hes really bringing her, um, he's burning a fair bit of the rope between him and going into uh, the jail for a short time anyway. 
Uh, Charles, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, trying to get witnesses in a mob case would be is hard enough. Trying to get witnesses in a case against Donald Trump, who uses his truth social to individually target people. People, you know, you read in the filing, people have had their home addresses posted, pictures of their home posted, names of their children posted, and then Donald Trump's, you know, hate troops attacking those people and threatening those people. They've threatened federal law enforcement. They're not afraid to threaten FBI agents. That's where it's gotten. Um, and so his people are dangerous and he knows it and he uses them against individual people. Um, is there a concern here that it's going to get hard for witnesses to take the chance if they can't afford to get 24-7 security for themselves? Well, Joe, I can tell you as a former prosecutor, that's always a concern when you have a defendant who is willing to go out and basically spew vitriol and hatred around the proceedings, around the people who are responsible for conducting the proceedings, and also around any of the witnesses, you put a direct target on their back. I think that Judge Chuckton's order is likely going to include some allusion to talking about how the world that we live in is different now and you can actually be doxxed. You're talking about Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, both of whom in, uh, are actually named as part of in the indictment people who they tried to intimidate based off of the defendant's efforts here. And so that's all, way, that's all going to play a factor in how the decision is made. But I also want to talk about the importance of not tainting a jury. In the world that we live in that is wrought with misinformation, it is very important important that there is some limit placed on Donald Trump around how he discusses what's going on at this trial, because that misinformation, as we have already seen on so many different occasions, fuels that mob. It fuels his angry followers and makes them believe that something is going on when it really isn't. Not only does that erode the trust in our fundamental democracy and our dem democratic institutions, but it taints the jury pool in such a way where they have preconceived notions about the notion of fairness before they even are sworn in for this trial. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about this in the next block, but in the in the other trial, him just saying Presidential Records Act over and over again, I think that is his strategy to get people believe that there's something to this idea that he's allowed to have documents based on that. We're going to get into that next block. But Lisa, let's talk timeline, because sometimes it seems like Donald Trump is a little more canny than people give him credit for. He throws this stuff out there and he does stuff that he knows is going to invoke filings, maybe, you know, from people like Jack Smith. And then there's time. You have to litigate that. What kind of a timeline should we be looking at here for there to be a decision on whether this limited gag order actually happens? Well, Judge Chutkin, in unsealing this brief earlier today, said that Donald Trump has until September 25th to respond to it. The government then has until September 30th to file its reply. And then we should expect a decision from her, I think, relatively shortly after. I should note, Joy, also for your audience, that all the pretrial filings that Donald Trump has due in this case to get ready for trial, those are all due on October 9th. So the window of time, even though it feels like we've got a lot of time between here and March when the trial is supposed to begin, the windows of time are really shortening for both the judge and the litigants here. But I want to call your attention to one more thing, because it's not just about the fairness here. I really want to underscore the safety risk and the safety concerns mm -hmm. here, because one of the things that the government is saying is that people involved in the criminal justice process, whether they are U.S. marshals or court security officers or potential jurors, they will read and hear what Donald Trump has to say on Truth Social or on television, and they may reasonably fear—this is the government with words—that they could be the next targets of his attack. So this is not an effort to clamp down on Trump and his lawyers just because of what they might do to the trial. They raise time and again the threat 
threats to individual people and how it threatened their security. I should note also that 224 tweet about Mike Pence that you noted earlier. In the indictment in this case, that's followed immediately by the fact that Mike Pence was evacuated from the Capitol by his Secret Service detail at 225. So Trump's words have consequences. They are not always consequences that he himself carries out, but he is well aware of the fact that his followers are hanging on every word. And the Department of Justice and the special counsel's office is really trying to take precautionary measures here to ensure the safety and security of anyone and everyone who might be involved in this case, but also just personnel involved in the administration of justice writ large, because it really does impact federal prosecutors and federal agents all across the country right now, including Judge Tutkin herself, who was threatened by a woman in Texas who's since been arrested, who called up her chambers and made a threat. These are not idle concerns. Yep. They're not idle concerns. It's not theoretical at all. Well, uh, very quickly, very quickly, because we got to go to break. Very go quick. for it. We, th- we compare him to a mob boss, but in this way, he's worse because he says things and then lone wolves as the, when the search warrant was served, go out and do things. You never know where they're going to come from. That makes it very grave uh, concern for Judge Chutkin. Absolutely. Uh, Lisa Rubin, thank you very much. Harry and Charles are sticking with me to talk about Trump's burning desire to testify in his own defense for some reason, because apparently he hasn't done enough damage already with his repeated public confessions. The readout continues after this. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Join MSNBC's Simone Sanders Townsend, Michael Steele, and Alicia Menendez as they team up to host The Weeknd. We want to get the newsmakers, the people that are in the middle of what is happening. It's about the conversation. A lot of Americans check out of conversations. We want to check them in. Conversation we begin and that you continue all week long. The Weekend, Saturdays and Sundays at 8 a.m. Eastern on MSNBC. One of Donald Trump's greatest weaknesses is that he does not know when to stop talking, much to the chagrin of his lawyers. And in his trial involving classified documents, all of his very public comments, which he seems to think are boosting his defense, in fact turn out to be actual admissions to the crimes that he is accused of. In an interview this week with an ideological ally, even, he provided yet another confession, saying, this is all about the Presidential Records Act. I'm allowed to have these documents. I'm allowed to take these documents, classified or not classified. And frankly, when I have them, they become unclassified. People think you have to go through a a ritual. You don't, at least in my opinion, you don't. No, Donald, actually you do. I mean, none of that word salad is actually true. And when reminded, again, by someone ostensibly on his side ideologically, that once he was subpoenaed by the FBI, he was obligated to turn over all the documents, he did a head-turning 180 within seconds saying, I know this, I don't even know that (laughs) because I have the right to have those documents, so I don't really know that. And they question Biden's mental acuity. Mind you, this is the guy who has said multiple times in the past 10 days that he's looking forward to testifying under oath at his trials. And if you listen really, really carefully, you might actually be able to hear Trump's lawyers banging their heads against the wall. Remember, this is also the guy 
who in the days following the search of Mar-a-Lago, and again earlier this year, claimed that perhaps anything found at his resort was potentially planted there by the FBI. And since those first days, he has also made repeated public confessions to the charges against him. I had every right to under the Presidential Records Act. You have the Presidential Records Act. I was there and I took what I took and it gets declassified. Just so you understand, I had every right to do it. I didn't make a secret of it. In other words, whatever documents a president decides to take with him, he has the absolute right to do so. That's the law. And it couldn't be more clear. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it, because you're sending it to Mar-a-Lago or to wherever you're sending it. As president, you have every right to have these documents, personal belongings and whatever else there is. Many people have asked me why I had these boxes. Why did you want them? The answer, in addition to having every right under the Presidential Records Act, is that these boxes were containing all types of personal belongings, many, many things, shirts and shoes and everything. I hadn't had a chance to go through all the boxes. It's a long, tedious job, takes a long time, which I was prepared to do, but I have a very busy life. I've had a very busy life. Yeah, when the president does it, it's not illegal, said Richard Nixon. So it is completely understandable that with the upcoming trials, so many believe this to be the most open and shut case against him. And that that only becomes more clear each time that he appears on camera, confessing to the crimes. If someone were really trying to help him out, the only option at this point would be to delay or slow down the proceedings to keep the trial from actually starting, perhaps in the way that we're seeing things play out down in Judge Aileen Cannon's court in Florida. Hmm. Returning with me, uh, back with me are Harry Lippman and Charles Coleman Jr. Char- uh, Charles, I will start with you on this because Donald Trump's argument, A, I think is designed to spoil the jury pool and get jurors already to think in their mind Presidential Records Act means he can have them take the jury pool. That, that seems to be the only explanation that makes sense to me because he cannot be dim enough to believe that because you're president for four years, everything shown to you at that time belongs to you. That's like saying, I stayed in this Airbnb for four days, therefore I can clean the place out and take it home with me. I was here for four days or I have a job. And when I leave my job, I get to take everything in my office that was the work product of my of my profession and take it home. No one believes that. But do you think that this is a successful attempt to poison the jury pool? Joy, I'll put it this way. If I have $100 in my bank account and I go to the bank and I pick up $100 out of their safe without telling anyone or talking to anyone and I walk out, it doesn't matter whether I believe that that money is mine. I'm going to jail for burglary because I have stolen $100. It's really that simple. What Donald Trump believes and what he talks about believing has no bearing on what the actual law says and what the actual law is. For those of us who are not lawyers, I'll make this very plain in terms of what defense attorneys attempt to try to do. You deny what you can't admit and you admit what you can't deny. Donald Trump cannot deny that those boxes and those papers were there. And so he's admitted that. He said, of course I had those documents. Of course they were at Mar-a-Lago. These were things that I had a right to do. That's the part that he can't admit. He can't admit that he knew that he wasn't supposed to say these things. He wasn't supposed to have these things. So any notion of 
admitting guilt with respect to the responsibility that he had with those documents are things that he's going to continue to deny because if he doesn't, it's a flat out admission and this is an open shut case. Be clear, it's an open shut case anyway because we already know that absent the, the, the admissions of him knowing that he wasn't supposed to have these, there are so many different things that he's done throughout the course of this timeline that shows that he was aware in fact that he had not declassified these things, that he did not have any right to them and that he was supposed to turn them over. I want to point out for viewers, remember, even though he talks about it wasn't a secret, he also orchestrated a dry run when he knew that federal investigators were going to come to his property to try to get them because he didn't want to turn these documents over. So this is not someone who acted without the mens rea or the mental capacity of knowing that he did not have or that he had something that he wasn't supposed to. This is not going to work. It's not going to fly. And ultimately, I think that the prosecution and Jack Smith are going to be able to make a very straightforward case in front of the jury that won't be tainted by this very, very weak argument. If it ever goes to trial, Harry Littman, because it does seem like the judge is dragging it. I mean, I took the liberty of speaking with somebody who has an association with The Apprentice. And uh, this person confirmed to me that when you're on The Apprentice, Donald Trump, the show Donald Trump used to be on, you do all these projects. I've never watched The Apprentice. I, I didn't watch it. But when you're on it, you do these projects and stuff and you create like products, right? There's a lot of product placement. When you leave The Apprentice, you don't get to take any of that with you. You got to leave it. So he <laughs> yeah. knows that that's how things work, even on The Apprentice. So he knows that this is BS. But is he benefiting right now from the fact that there is a judge in Florida who seems more than happy to drag out this open and shut case so that it is pushed into what maybe somebody around there hopes is his presidency? Sure he is. And, you know, he's already eaten up a month and a half or so, and he's just got to got to go maybe another four or five. But, uh, to you know, I just want to say Charles is right down the line. And to summarize, it doesn't matter what he thinks the the law is. What, and so all these admissions are making clear he's done the conduct in the uh, indictment. But even so, he's also made admissions that show he does know it's illegal. Remember, he, he says to people who are there, I, I could have declassified this before, <laughs> but, but now I didn't. So it really puts the lie to the notion it happens automatically. He's the worst client in the world. It's just admission <laughs> after admission after admission. And it's not going to be cleaned up at trial by his testimony. That is false bravado. Axiom number one is Donald Trump <laughs> won't testify. So his ability yeah. even to make this kind of defense will, is is very threadbare at, at best. Look, I think it's only for the public uh, consumption, and that's the the whole uh, bet that he's that he's making. But he he has no real prospect of winning a trial. He does have a prospect, of course, or a hope that it goes past the election and he wins the election, and then at least the federal cases he can we'll make go away. Go away. To, to stay with you for just a second, Harry, uh, the, the federal yeah. prosecutors. I want to switch to Hunter Biden just for a minute. Yeah. I am. I have a question. I think you might have talked about this on Morning Joe earlier today. If prosecutors made a deal with Hunter Biden that they were going to adjudicate this case away and put him in pretrial diversion, how can they go back on that? Aren't Can't his lawyer say, no, you got to live with this thing. You signed it. And then number two, apparently the law that he's being prosecuted under for the gun for the, the gun crime is a law that's being challenged as unconstitutional. So what happens if that law is then found to be unconstitutional? Okay. So on the second question, he was charged both with lying on forms and possessing it. If that law is found to be unconstitutional because the, you know, Second Amendment rights expand to people who've used drugs, that third count goes away. 
I think, though, Joy, the first two stay. I think he, if he's lied about it, some would say, oh, it's not material then. That's a legal requirement. But, you know, you lie on that form, even if that, even if the, uh, that it goes away, I think he's still um, uh, in the soup. And as to the, I'm sorry, remind me of the first question. The first question being that if there was a, an agreement to put yeah, in pretrial and diversion and both his so lawyers and the prosecutors signed it. Yeah. A plea agreement isn't it is a contract. But. A contract has to be stitched up. So there are some open-ended things. Did probation sign? What happened in court? So it's a it's an argument he has. It's not airtight. All the things that yeah. stink about the prosecution, I think a lot of them do, are can't necessarily be remedied in court. And and this is one of them. He'll have an argument. He's got a very good yeah. lawyer, but is it really completely stitched up enough to be enforceable? Yeah. If we'll see. Okay. Well, I just want to clear that up real quick. Uh, Harry Lippman, Charles Coleman, thank you both. Charles Coleman Jr. We want to make sure that dad is the Coleman. He's junior. <laughs> thank you very much. Appreciate y'all. Still ahead. Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is caught in a lie before being kicked out of a Colorado theater as Florida Surgeon General doubles down on dangerous vaccine disinformation. What a time to be alive. More next. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. The Republican Party is really, really good at preaching a militant message of family values wrapped in Christian conservatism. But what they do privately, well, that is an entirely different story. Take, for example, Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Earlier this week, the Sarah Palin of the Western Slope was escorted out of a Denver performance of Beetlejuice. Police reports state that Boebert was unruly, taking flash photography, singing and dancing all throughout the show. And here's the best part. The pro-life, quote unquote, congresswoman was also accused of vaping during the show in front of a pregnant woman, no less. The woman kindly asked her to stop. But Boebert tossed out her pro-baby values, as they now like to call it, and ignored the woman. After multiple warnings, she and her new paramour, allegedly an Aspen liberal, were given the boot, but not before asking, do you know who I am? And giving the usher the single figure salute. Her office denied the claims of vaping, saying it was a fog machine. What did the fog machine do to you, Lauren Boebert? As you can imagine, however, that wasn't the truth. As you can tell very clearly from the video of Boebert vaping. It should come as no surprise that her office lied, because lying seems to be another thing MAGA misfits have adopted from Donald Trump, whose lies have gotten him indicted in Florida, New York, and Washington, D.C. 
Joining me now is Fernand Amandi, Democratic pollster and MSNBC political analyst, and Wendy Osefo, Democratic strategist and assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Education. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Fernand, I guess I'll start with you. I mean, there apparently is no penalty for not just lying, not just vaping in front of a pregnant woman, although they claim to be pro-baby, um, and apparently also not being with your husband anymore and having a new man. Um, Christian values, your thoughts. Well, I mean, first off, what the fog machine is she talking about? I mean, that's, not even, that's not even a quasi-decent lie, you know, when it comes from the mouth of Lauren Boebert. I understand she's got to let her freak flag fly a little bit when she thinks the camera is not on. And I understand she's got the stress of being on 24-7 lying talking points. But again, to do that, knowing that she's in front of a pregnant woman and not, I guess, knowing that she was on camera, I think just speaks to what the Republican Party is today, a party that will invent an alternate reality to suit its needs and justify its grievances every step of the way. So are we shocked? No, I'm just a little disappointed that uh, that what the fog machine lie. Boy, she's got to come up with something a lot better than that one, Joy. You know, Wendy, we live in an era where women are being stripped of their uh, right to an abortion in state after state, driven by Republicans. And they are saying it's because they have these values that they say are Christian. And yet you have multiple members that, of, of their party, uh, women and men, Donald Trump on the male side, the, this person, Lauren Boebert, but also uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's no penalty, apparently. I thought they were against no-fault divorce, but apparently it doesn't matter. They can do whatever they want in terms of relationships in and out of their marriages, and there's literally no penalty from their Christian base. Does, does that make sense to you? It makes absolutely no sense. And it's very clear, as the kids will say, she was caught in 4K. You know, like when you are caught on camera doing something and then your team still goes on and denies it, I think it's quite laughable. And it seems as though the Republican Party only cares about values when their feet are in Capitol Hill. But it's not about values when you are doing the, you know, responsibilities of your job. It's about values that when you are at home, when you are outside of the camera, what do you stand for? And then on top of that, after everything transpired, she went on her social media media decided to taunt people by letting them know that, you know, let me know what happened at the end of the Beetlejuice show because I wasn't able to catch it. So it seems like she didn't even have any level of remorse because even when she was caught with her hand, let's say in the proverbial cookie jar, she still decided to double down and let people think that it was laughable. And I think that this is paramount to what the Republican Party stands for. They want to bestow upon people what they think are the right values. They want to bestow upon people what they think is the right conduct and behavior. But when it comes to their own self, i.e. Donald Trump, they do not do what they say that they stand for. And I think that this is another towel in the mosaic of what the Republican Party often lies to people and is often smoke, fog and mirrors. Yeah, I mean, and we got to look at the taste level of some of these voters on the Republican side. You, you, you got to want someone more dignified than Lauren Boebert. I think you should want more for yourself. Um, it, let me go back to you, Fernand, uh, and let's talk about Florida. You know, we got to talk about your state my former state. Why is the Surgeon General of Florida lying about vaccines again and making it official policy now, telling people not to get boosters? Well, look, I mean, I, I want to draw a clear distinction here, Joey. What we saw with Lauren Boebert, certainly lying, certainly de devious lying, but there's a fine line between lying and looking like a fool in the process, as opposed to what's happening in Florida, where these lies are very cavalierly costing people and potentially costing people their lives. 
this misinformation. Uh, I know for a fact there are people that have died in the state of Florida believing the COVID misinformation on not taking vaccines. We had a whole a host of Republican MAGA types on Spanish language television here talk specifically about how the virus was going to give, I mean, I'm sorry, how the vaccine would give you cancer. And a lot of people delayed taking it and died as a result of this. So these are life and death lies, Joy, that is even more problematic. Now, why is DeSantis doing this? Of course, we know why. He is trying to double down and do whatever he can to put some, you know, some life into this corpse, which is his campaign, by continuing to appeal to the ultra-right. He's not going to beat Donald Trump. His candidacy for president is over. So I don't understand the forward thinking of this, but it is consistent with how he has behaved in this very cavalier disinformation and misinformation style when it comes on issues like this, the most precious type of life and death. Yeah, they're embarrassing lies and they're dangerous lies. Uh, thank you for, for making that distinction. Fernand and Wendy are sticking around because they're going to play Who Won the Week. And you should stick around, too. Do not miss it. Well, we made it to the end of the week, which means it is time to play our favorite game. Ah, yes. Who won the week? Back with me, Fernand, Amandi, and Wendy Osefa. Wendy, you are new to the game, so I'm going to allow you to go first. Ladies yeah. first, who won the week? Who won the week? Okay, so for me, who won the week is married couples between Hugh Jackman and his wife filing for separation and Young Jeezy and Jeannie Mae announcing that they are divorcing. I feel like if you did not announce that you are getting a divorce or a separation this week, then you, my friend, have won. Congratulations, Mazel. Mazel. Okay, you won the weekend, it sounds like, for now, because Faz, I know you you and your cutie are, are still great. So you won the week. Do you want to add anybody else? <laughs> Tough to top that one, but I'm going to uh, go with the guy who came out with a blowtorch and a flamethrower this week. It was Mitt Romney saying, adios, suckers, to the Republican Party. He gets it. He understands what this election is about. It's not about the economy. It's about democracy. And he said, most people in my party today no longer believe in the Constitution. For that moment of truth and courage, Mitt Romney won the week. I love that. And uh, by the way, Jason and I also won the week, so I'm happy about that. Wendy, I appreciate you. You got us all winning. Uh, (laughs) My winner, though, is, of course, the great Coco Goff, icon in the making, granddaughter of a grandma that integrated a school back in the day, uh, civil rights hero, tennis hero, and just a bad, bad young lady. Uh, And her hero, of course, (laughs) is Serena Williams. And she is our hero. Coco Golf won the week. Fernand Amandi, Wendy Osepo, thank you very much. But wait, there is more. Sarah Collins Rudolph, the fifth little girl who sustained severe injuries in the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, joins me next to mark the 60th anniversary of that deadly blast. Stay right there. If we're going to continue to move forward as a nation, We cannot allow concerns about discomfort to displace knowledge, truth, or history. I know that atrocities like the one we are memorializing today are difficult to remember and relive. But I also know that it is dangerous to forget them. We cannot forget because the uncomfortable lessons are often the ones that teach us the most about ourselves. 
That was, of course, the first black woman to serve on the Supreme Court, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, I should add, speaking today at the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. On this date, 60 years ago, three weeks after the 1963 March on Washington, just before 11 a.m. on a Sunday, a dynamite bomb planted by Ku Klux Klan members exploded during the church's annual youth day. Dozens of congregation members were injured in the blast. While in the church basement, four young girls were killed. 14-year-olds Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, and Carol Robertson, and 11-year-old Denise McNair. A fifth little girl, Addie Mae's sister Sarah, survived the explosion. And joining me now is Sarah Collins Rudolph, survivor of the 1963 16th Street Baptist Church bombing, and Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter and the Southern Black Girls and Women Consortium. Thank you both for being here. I do want to start uh, with you, Ms. Collins um, Rudolph. How should we think uh, about what happened to you 60 years later? What have we? What have, what have we as a society learned from it? Well, we uh, learned from it that we. You uh, love one another and not to hurt one another because, you know, during that time, there was so much racism going on during that time. And uh, in this time now, to really change our hearts because God is love. And the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So it's time for us all to just get together because if those girls was here today, no, we don't know what they would have been. So it's time for it stopped all the violence. A- Amen. And Latasha, I know that you founded um, your Southern Black Girls organization in memory of these these little girls who perished uh, in Birmingham. Tell us why you did that, how they inspired you. You know, growing up in Alabama, you know, as a little black girl, when I even I'm thinking about even the term when you say little black girls, oftentimes the only time that that's said and is associated with is this terrible thing that happened to these children, that the kind of hate that actually kill these children. We still see that on some level, even in our communities, where we actually see in schools the adultification of young girls, where we see the the uh, marginalization of black women and black girls. When we look at funding in the South and the lack of funding in the South and the support that black women and girls see. And so that was part of it. Part of it was being inspired by the legacy of those young women, but also was around how can we build a better society that black girls and all children will be safe. And Ms. Ms. Collins-Rudolph, let me ask you this, because there is a thing that we're we're talking, having these conversations about reparations, and there are people who are living witnesses and victims of the horrors of the past that people are now trying to hide and bury. And I wonder for you, have you ever received compensation from the state of Alabama? Has anything, anything been done to try to make right what was done to you and your sister and your friends? No, I never received any compensation conversation and I know that I deserve it because of what our uh, leaders was uh they was all about racism and hate during that time but yet they ha- they hadn't given me anything and you know I had lost my uh, right eye in the bombing so I know that I should be getting compensation for my injury 
I mean, you should. And, you know, Latasha, this is the thing. You, you think about the history and sort of all that went into it. You had Governor George Wallace 10 days before these girls were murdered saying what this country needs is a few first class funerals and some political funerals, too. Uh, eventually, the three of the Klan members who were involved in this bombing were convicted, one in 77, one in 2001 and 2002. They all did die in prison. So there was some justice. And then more irony, Doug Jones, the former senator from Alabama, was the prosecutor in that case. So these are not ancient histories. Doug Jones was literally uh, then the senator from Alabama. Do you feel sometimes in doing the work that you do that we take for every two steps forward, like three steps back, because we don't seem to be able to get past the ugliness of the era that that Ms. Collins Rudolph suffered in? In this country, we refuse to actually face and deal with race. It's kind of like what Justice Katanji um, Jackson said today, that at the end of the day, we're trying to rehab an element of this country that said we don't even want to know the history of what happened. So we can't even correct it. And so what we have to really be able to recognize is it wasn't just what happened then, the hatred that happened then that led to their death. We're seeing that same kind of rhetoric from people who are running for president. We're seeing that from President Trump. We're seeing that from DeSantis, that at the end of the day, that racial hate leads to violence and to the killing and the murder of innocent people, just like those four, four girls. If we're not standing up against DeSantis and his guilt in this moment, we're just as guilty. We have blood on our hands. Absolutely. I'll give you the last word, uh, Sarah Collins Rudolph. Um, what do you want us to do to move forward? What do you think is your best advice for us? Well, our best advice, we got to trust in God. You know, that's for one thing, because after I was injured, I get a, a, a lot of hate on the inside of me for what happened and what happened to my sister and friend. But I had to uh, really go to God to get that out of me. Yeah. So it's just will to really uh go to him because uh the devil he he come to steal and to destroy but God and more life. Well it's not Sunday uh but you can get an amen. Sarah Collins Rudolph and uh my friend Latasha Brown, thank you, thank you very much. That is tonight's readout. Hey parents Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.